Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We're still waiting for uh, Taz to come in from the studio. Uh, We stream this live on Blog Talk Radio, plus we are live in the San Jose, California area. And Taz is in San Jose, so we're just waiting for her to... uh, Come on in. So I don't know. Usually she's in here by now. There she is. Good morning, Taz. Good morning, Paula. Well, we have our guest with us today. It's uh, she's going to be fun to talk to. Her name is Bonnie Buckner, Ph.D., teaches business and creative professionals worldwide just how to unlock their imaginations and to fly with the greatest versions of themselves. Bonnie says, yes, it's truly possible simply by using an ancient Kabbalistic lineage of dreaming and imagery techniques. She has helped CEOs, politicians, small business owners, award-winning writers, filmmakers, working musicians, social entrepreneurs to overcome challenges and and blocks to accomplish what they otherwise thought would be totally impossible to grasp and manifest. Whoa. Taz, you and I need Bonnie to be on our side. So today, Bonnie is sharing with us some surefire ways of bringing our visions on board and putting big smiles on our faces. And uh, we are ready for Bonnie, and you are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Yes, Bonnie, we really are ready. And it certainly sounds like we can manifest big once we understand what our dreams are sharing with us. And today we'll talk about how in your book called Dream Yourself Into Being, a powerful title that is, you actually prove that dreaming puts us in the driver's seat of our lives by showing us how to understand the messages of our dreams and to use them as tools for our personal empowerment. It sounds like we can really take back our life. Dr. Bonnie Buckner has toured with her personal dream journey, side-by-side leading her from childhood on a ranch in remote West Texas to Oprah, to the White House, to her dreaming teacher, founding a company, and to even working on a presidential campaign. Well, Bonnie is a passionate believer that she is, and she's believing that the business can be creative and can process through a path of igniting one's soul in a powerful journey that it will transform far beyond what any individual would ever expect. It just simply takes one step at a time and some real playtime along the way. And we're going to be talking about dreams today. I can hardly wait. I was just sharing with Bonnie before we uh, got onto the line that uh, I'm in a dream group. So it's exploring our dreams are so fun. And, uh, Bonnie, you've been interested in dreams since you were three years old. So it's really, I have been. So it's really brought you through a, a path of your own passion. It's, that's wonderful to be able to work with what you're passionate with. So do you want to uh, – I've been uh, looking through your book, and the first part of it um, – 
you talk about uh, actually working with the Aborigine women in Australia. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And, and first of all, I want to say thank you so much for having me on your show. You ladies have such an incredibly valuable resource. I um, just had, uh, I was telling Paula, I just had my family visiting from out of town, and my nephew was saying to me, you know, I'm so interested in the things you're interested in, and uh, they're visiting from Texas. And he said, other than you recommending books to me, like, where can I find out about stuff like this? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm about to be interviewed by some people who have some wonderful podcasts. And so just having that resource to um, forward to people is incredible and in all of the people you reach. So thank you for having your show and also for having me on your show. It's a real honor for me. Well, the um, Internet really brings this all together, doesn't it? It does. It's incredible. Um I was I started my book in um or the book starts rather in the middle of the outback desert. And that's really uh that was a trip that I took um a few years ago. My dream teacher was invited by a group of Aboriginal elder women to uh come with uh three of her students and um we would learn their dreaming ways and they would learn our dreaming ways. And so we spent a week in the outback with them, and a group of uh, there were a few other women there. I think there were about thirty of us total, and um, it was an incredible journey. And I, I realized there that that one week in the outback was metaphor for all of the work that we do as dreamers. And um, so many of the the stories that I talk about about you know mapping the dreaming landscape um, by talking about how we mapped the Aboriginal land uh, when we were there, it sets the stage for the whole book of, of what the dreaming work is. And the dreaming work is really, you know, we, we start into uh, the desert of the self and we come into this world in, in a blank canvas, so to speak. Um, but I do believe that each of us comes in with a spark of intention and intent, something we want to do. And it's along the way that we begin to populate our desert with possibilities and with um, markers and signposts. So at one point in our um, entry into the outback, we were told that the land looks the same, but it is not that not to walk out of eyesight because while it looks flat and it looks unvariated, in fact, there are rises and dips in the land and we could very easily walk out of sight and be utterly lost because we didn't have the signposts, the landmarks that the Aboriginal women did. And in that same way, as we begin to develop into ourself, we may seem... Um, a one-color palette, and we may seem very similar to other people, but as we begin to walk through our own dreaming life, through our own inner landscape, we uncover that we have, in fact, rises and dips and um, very specific places that make us the unique universe that each individual human is. And this is part of the dreaming work. Um and part of the dreaming work is also to clear that landscape. There was a moment where we spent the entire day marking off a rectangle and sweeping it completely clear of all of the sticks and the rocks until it was a smooth, long rectangle. And then we changed our outer clothing and assumed new markings, um, tribal markings and things, to then have ceremony of connecting to uh, Mother Earth. And in the same way, we have to uh, acknowledge that in our own inner landscape, while there are also these markers that make us unique, the place that, for me, called to me when I was three years old and said, um, this is your love, which was the love of dreaming. Each person has their own um, touch point. Um, as much as we have those, we also have sticks and rocks that we have to clear, that we've accumulated 
along the way. And it's when we begin to change these outer skins, the outer clothing of the things that we've put on. For example, um, you know, I, as much as my father was a dreamer, my father was also very interested in his children becoming very successful in business. And so for many years, I wore an outer garment of a business salesperson. And for me to get back to that dreaming spark, I had to change my skin and uh, come back to a uh, cleared space so that I could reach into that greater mystery of myself. So by that you could actually touch your own passion. Exactly. And what dreaming does, I just saw this amazing movie. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's The Great and Powerful Oz with James Franco and Mila Kunis. And it's an amazing dreaming movie. And I realized watching it, it, it gives another great metaphor for dreaming. Because in that movie, um, James Franco plays Oz. And it's the prequel to The Wizard of Oz. and How we find out how the great and powerful Oz got his start, so to speak. And he was a, you know, a, a nickel showman that traveled from town to town and had smoke and mirrors and things like that. And all he saw in himself was that he was a fraud. So even though he put in a big banner in front of his um, show, The Great and Powerful Oz, inside he felt like the small and nothing Oz. And so he lands in this world vis-a-vis -a, -vis a tornado and everyone says to him, you know, it's the world of Oz. And he says, how can it be a, a, this fantastic world with all of these colors? And at the beginning, the movie's in black and white. And when he gets to the land of Oz, everything's blooming and colorful and amazing. And he says, how can I be in a land that's my name? And everyone in this land keeps telling him, you're the great wizard. You're the great wizard. And at the end of the movie, he calls in... You know, he goes through a series of challenges that he overcomes. And at the end of the movie, he calls in Glinda the Good Witch, and he says, thank you for opening my eyes. And she says, what do you see? And he says, I see a man of courage. And she says, I saw it all along. And that is our dream. The, the, we each are this exquisite, dynamic, vibrant, colorful land of Oz. I, I have the land of Bonnie. You have the land of Taz and the land of Paula. And there, our greater self says, you're the great wizard. And it's known us all along. And so when we have a dream and we have all of these different characters in the dream, it's showing us, uh, in our own journey through Oz, how to overcome obstacles in order for us to open our eyes to our own greatness. And all along the way, um, our dreams are showing us through all of these characters, just like in that movie, uh, what our greatest self is capable of, as well as where we're stumbling and the way out of it. So the moment we begin to engage in that world is the moment that we enter the real journey of mapping our own inner landscape, of finding our own yellow brick road, really. Well, our dreams want to uh, bring attention to things that we kind of like don't see, like you were talking about when you were in Australia in the outback. And so our dreams bring in, I mean, this is my experience, Sometimes it uh, shows you your blocks or they show you your next step, things that uh, normally you don't see. Exactly. And it's by um, having these different characters that we have that mirror. So another example of that, my family is out, as I mentioned, and there was a moment I have so much to do at the moment getting my book ready to launch and also wanting to spend as much quality time with my family as possible. And there was a moment where I lost my cool and I made a snippy comment to my sister-in-law. And she looked at me sort of hurt. And my brother gave me this look like, where did that come from? And then looks at her and rolls his eyes. And it's a perfect example of dreaming because... I am unable, if I lose my cool, I've lost 
outside of myself in the same way that, you know, James Franco says, I thank you for opening my eyes to see my own self. I lost sight of myself for a moment. But because they are outside of me, they become the mirror. And I can see by their reaction, oh, wow, I stepped out of my center for a moment. And in that same way, you know, family is great because family has no problem putting, you know, themselves right in your face and rolling their eyes. <laughs> but often friends and people we don't know would be hesitant. And so it's very difficult to see our own self without the mirror that dreams provide. So in a dream, we have these different aspects of the self. In the lineage that I teach, every aspect of the dream is an aspect of the self. So if there is an aspect of me that's running away from something, it's showing me this so that I can see that there is an aspect of me running away from something. So it provides that mirror to show, wait a minute, you've fallen off your center. You've fallen off your own path. But in the same way that my brother looked at me like, where did that come from? It's also showing me that's not your what your great greatest capability is. Right? That's not what your uh, normal heights of, of being are. So here it's showing you, okay, look, you stepped off, but you're bigger than that, and here's how. So nightmares um, is really trying to get your attention. Would you say exactly. that? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Nightmares are fantastic. And that's... I get asked two questions almost by everybody who finds out what I do. The first question is, you know, well, I can't remember my dreams. How do I? How do I do that? Which is very easy. And the second question is, well, I only have nightmares. You know, is something wrong with me? Nightmares are fantastic because what nightmares are trying to do is exactly what you say is wake you up. Wake you up to something that is a pattern and a way of being um acting in the moment that is not um that's tangled that's not you know your your greatest capability and when we have a recurring nightmare what i call a repetitive nightmare it's because we haven't addressed it we haven't woken up to the call so it's just like um you know if your mother calls you down to dinner and you don't answer and then she starts calling you again and again and you don't answer, then she's going to stomp up the stairs and knock on your door. Well, it's the same way with our nightmares. They're saying, hey, pay attention. You're off course. We're trying to let you know how. And then if you don't pay attention, it's going to just continue to knock louder and louder and over and over until you finally do. Now, it seems to me that children have more nightmares than adults. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, if that is true, I wonder why. Well, it's. I wouldn't say that it's true. I would simply say that children are uh, still in a very dreamy space, and so they pay attention to their dreams, whereas adults um, have taught themselves through the years to dismiss their dreaming. Oh, it's just a dream, and they push it away and, and put it under the rug and... You know, that's why so many people say they don't remember their dreams. So it's only adults who tell me that. Children remember their dreams because they're living in that dream space all the time. And children are very easy to work with. I have a little five-year-old friend, and um, she and I talk with eyes open in that dream space. And we talk about dreaming and, oh, there was a loud noise that was scary. Oh, really? It's a tiger behind a tree. Well, what does the tiger want? Oh, the tiger would like to eat something. Well, what would you like to have the tiger eat? A blue birthday cake. Fantastic. Let's have tea with the tiger. So they talk in this way of resolving things that frighten them. If you engage with them that way, in their waking self, which means that they also are so in touch when they're asleep, and with this five-year-old friend of mine, after having talked to her and been friends with her for a long time and all five years of her life, that I've um, spoken with her this way, she, uh, her parents made a decision recently to uh, change the school she's in because there was a, a teacher that many of the students were having difficulties with, including herself, 
And her mom called and said, wow, um, she just had this fantastic dream. And it was the first week of her being in a new school. And in the dream, she's in the schoolyard. And this mean witch comes into the schoolyard and starts yelling at everybody. But all of these amazing birds come. And she calls the birds down so everybody can climb on their backs and fly to a new place, which was a park with everything green and free and not cement. And so she learned how to resolve her challenges by flying on these beautiful birds' backs in her dreaming language of her night dreams. So she had woken up and told her mom, Mom, I started to have a nightmare, but then I had a really good dream. So one of the things that's really powerful is to work with children and to teach them because everything I teach adults, is the same as as with children, which is that when we learn to resolve challenges in our night dream, then we're resolving them in our daytime waking life as well, and then vice versa. Well, that was a, yeah, during, a, an amazing. I was going to say that's an amazing dream for a five-year-old. <laughs> it is because she's been developing that aspect of herself, you know. Now, Bonnie, also we're. What happens, you know, you say that we also dream during the day. Is is dreaming our thinking process as well? Well, dreaming is all the time. So right now, for example, you're smelling. But until I said that to you, you weren't attending to that smell unless you're cooking toast or something at the moment. Maybe you two ladies are making some toast in the background. But our senses never stop. You can't. I can't say to you, okay, on the count of three, stop smelling. It's not a voluntary response in the body. Even if I say close your eyes, you're going to see lights and, and other images in your visual screen. So all of our senses, you're touching something right now, you're uh, tasting something, you're feeling texture in your mouth, all of these things are active 24-7. Because if they're not, then the brain has stopped and we're dead. This is part of being an alive, experiencing being on the planet. And it's from our senses that we dream. Dreaming is the language of the senses. It's the language of our experiencing. So all of the sensing that we're having creates a bodily response. There are things that we feel contracted by, things that us, things that enliven us, things that we feel shut down by. And all of these things are happening all throughout our day. But our attention, and it's a learned process, it's not uh, involuntary, our attention is focused on our prefrontal cortex, which is, if you were to make a fist, it's about the size of your thumbnail relative to your whole of your fist in terms of brain real estate. So we spend about 90% of our waking day in the size of the thumbnail of our brain, of possibility. But the rest of our brain is happily perking along, doing all kinds of things, including sensing and experiencing a response to that sensing of all of the activities and environments that we move through throughout the day. So what the brain does with all of this information, because in the brain, a taste comes in as information, and then in that, we have a response to that, which can be memories, it can evoke um, the feelings and emotions, like I talked about before, analogies, oh wow, I felt this way when I was a seven-year-old, and um, it was almost, you know, Passover time, and, you know, all of these different um responses that we have, that is a lot of chaotic information. And so what the brain does is takes this information and organizes it into image. And these images are um, the mirror of the brain so that we can understand ourselves and what our experiencing is. It's, it's The image becomes the way that we understand what a smell is or what a taste is. And then 
As we become aware of these images during the day, that's dreaming while awake. At night is when most people think, oh, that's the only time I dream, because that's the one time during our 24 hours that we quiet that prefrontal cortex, that little thumbnail, enough that we can see these processes that are going on all the time. And the brain will organize these images into uh, a place of coherence. Um, that we can say, oh, and then I did this in the dream, and then I did that in the dream, and then that. We feel it as if it follows a sort of narrative timeline. But in fact, it's all at once. But that narrative timeline is the further organization of the brain so that we can make sense of our world and make sense of how we're responding to our world. Wow. So, uh, I'd like to let people know before we go any further, you do have weekly dream groups that people can join in case they can't find their own. I do. This is awesome. I just, you know, your website is bonniebuckner.com, and that's B-O-N-N-I-E-B-U-C-K-N-E-R.com. And, um, wow, it's a whole truckload of information you need to go investigate. It's so marvelous. Do you have a favorite section in your book after writing it that was was a real surprise to you after developing it? Well, you know, I dreamed this book in one night. Ooh. So I wow. didn't really develop it. <laughs> I... <laughs> I had the dream, I wake up, and I write down the order of it, the organization of it, and um, all of the stories I want to include in it, and I do it very quickly as notes, and I set it aside, I was in the middle of writing my dissertation, and I had some... uh, of my own sort of challenges I had to jump over in order to follow that particular dream. And so it took me a few weeks of walking around uh, with this dream, which I describe in the book as feeling like a burning ember in my chest because it was very insistent and it was saying, write it, write it, write it, (laughs) before I sat down. And the moment I sat down, it just, it flowed out of me and, and I had my couple of pages of notes right there, but I had already dreamed it. So it was really um, just putting on paper what was already present inside me. Was that before your trip to Australia or after? It was, um, I guess it was after. Yeah. So do you... um after your trip to Australia, do you think you, well, a book came through your dreams. I mean, do you think your dreams are deeper and more soulful? Well, I mean, Australia was an exchange. You know, I had been studying with my dream teacher. What I teach is a, a lineage of dreaming that dates back um, person to person. We can um, follow it directly person to person back to two um Mediterranean Kabbalists of the 13th century. And um, so I had been working with her for a a decade. And then going to Australia was interesting in that, um, as, as with all of the great traditions, at the very furthest point, we meet at the same place. So, um, that experience became a good metaphor to sort of ground the book and set it off. Um, Because walking a dream in the daytime, in a dream time landscape that's physical, is for me the same work that we do of walking a dream uh, in our inner self. So while the aboriginals speak about it differently, and it's, the work of it is the same. Do you, um, can our ancestors talk 
to us through our dreams, or maybe uh, could you one of your ancestors, your grandmother or your father or some, came in and help, helped you bring in this book through your dreams? Well, I do think that through the dream field, we um, can access um, our ancestors and that we're all connected. I think that the dream field connects every one of us. And I know that I have had very specific meetings with um, members of my family through dreams and in the dream time. Um I don't know that they, one of them necessarily delivered this book to me because they're usually uh, obvious when I dream with them. I sit down and, and one of the things that often characterizes those dreams for me is I sit down in a, a dream space with that person and the first thing I say is, you're dead, and they acknowledge that and then we have a conversation. <laughs> so uh, that did not happen with this book. Um, but you know it, it's it's possible. Can you incubate a dream or incubate um, like if you go to bed at night and you ask, "Can I meet with my father tonight? Can we do that?" Well, you can ask. You know, I don't really ask to meet with my ancestors. I let that be what that is. But what we can absolutely do is we can ask our dreams a question and they will answer. So um, there's two different ways to go about this. You know, one thing that I do, when people say to me, I can't remember my dreams, here's my uh, very easy, uh, quick way to do it. And You go out and you buy a journal that you really like like one that really, you know, attracts you. Uh, you like the feel of it in your hand. You like the way it looks. And you put it by your bed, and before going to bed, turn to the fresh, first clean page and write the day's date at the top and write, tonight I will have a clear dream and remember. And this sets an intention, and you put your pen down and then go to sleep. And then make good on the promise to yourself when you wake up with that dream, write it down. And you will. That's how to remember your dreams. So once you begin remembering your dreams, you can also then write at the top of the page, tonight I will have a clear dream about, uh, you know, something maybe that you're wrestling with. Tonight I will have a clear dream about how I feel about this new job offer, for example. And if that's your real question, then you'll have a dream that will let you know where you're at at the moment with respect to that particular question. Another way to do it is to do an imagery exercise that I explain in the book, which is to draw a circle of light uh, in front of you, eyes closed, before going to bed, and write uh, with a sunbeam along the edge, what is my real question? and see what comes into that circle, and then see what you then dream that night. So that's if we don't know yet what our real question is. Um, so that's two different ways to begin to really dialogue with your dreams. Wow. So we have some real specific ways to pull out and uh, and walk that way now. It, it might not happen the very first night, right? <laughs> It might not. You know, dreaming, if we haven't been dreaming, right, if yeah. if we've come, you know, into this work and, and we've been, you know, of that sort of linear perspective that, oh, dreams are, you know, I can't access my dreams or they're just, you know, daily subterfuge or um, whatever, you know, dismissals that we might put on to them then we have to learn to exercise that muscle because it's just like I explain to people sometimes, you know, if you went to a yoga class and you see the yoga teacher and you think, oh, my gosh, they have the perfect body, and you think, I should have that in one night. Well, now you have to go to a few yoga classes before you have it. <laughs> but I will 
say that the, our dreams are so desirous of us to interact with them that the moment we begin to do so, they will show up. Can you give us an example of a question that you personally asked and and what answer the dream brought to you? Sure. I, I talk about it in my book. I um, had a moment of, uh, after studying with my teacher for a number, you know, a decade uh, of years, I was asked by her to... Um, travel with her to Europe to uh, give a couple of workshops with her and to take over a couple of her classes um, for a period of time. And I was very angry with this request, and I couldn't understand why I was angry at this request And because it's what I love, it's what I do. And, and so I had, you know, had a conversation with her years and years ago, where she had said, really apropos of nothing, that the student becomes angry at the teacher in order to leave, and that she forgives me in advance for that time. And I had poo-pooed her, and I had said, I'll never do that, right? And and she had said it to me three times, apropos of nothing. And my teacher never says anything apropos of nothing, so I paid attention to it, and I threw a little marker into the future to remember that. So as I thought about how I had reacted when she wanted me to do these workshops and how I became so angry, I realized I'd hit my marker. And um, so I asked my dreams for confirmation, um, how I feel about uh, doing this work. And my dreams were very, very clear that night. And that dream, I dreamed that I am in a a frozen landscape like the woods, but on the right is a flowing river. And I have this kite on my back um, that's blue and red and, you know, primary colors. And there's a stalled school bus um, that is my teacher's bus that's in this snowy field. And I run on these two round stones and then a long log out into the middle of the the rushing water, and I catch enough air that I can fly with my kite. And then I'm sitting in the bus with my teacher, and I'm untangling my kite strings. And um, there are two people who are kind of talking just crazy things. And, And I look at my teacher, and I tell her there's four uh, slogans that I've thought of. And, um, I won't remember them precisely at this moment, but one is, you know, imagery, uh, the language of now, imagery, um, perfect for the now generation. Like everything is imagery now, imagery now. <laughs> and so in the dream, she says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm out of here. And I jump on the, the top of the school bus where I can catch more air and I fly in my, my kite. And so that dream for me was completely clear. For me, the uh, I had come to the place where the bus was stopped. I had done my work, and it was time for me to untangle my my kite strings, to cut the cord, and to fly on my own. The imagery, the imagery and dreaming work that I do is now. It's for this generation now. And I was really, you know, at first hesitant to talk to her for no reason. Other, I was just chicken, you know, and. Um, that's all made very easy with her because we speak the same language, which is the language of dreaming. So I called her and I said, you know, I was very angry. And she said, yes, and I'm wondering where that's coming from. (laughs) And I say, well, I have this dream, and I tell her the dream. And she understood, and she asked me simply, where do you fly? So that's a way that the dreams can respond in this sense it responded to me immediately and was very, very clear and my life uh moved into a very significant new chapter as a result of it. Is that uh I don't know if you were you were teaching at corporations before that or is that when you started doing that? I was doing it a little, but by um 
finishing uh, my tutelage with my teacher, that's when all of my energy and efforts then focused into developing the practice, working with different organizations, working with individual clients, wrapping up my Ph.D., and writing this book. Oh, wow. So have you gone into um, nonprofit organizations and and with imagery helped them come up with creative and fresh ideas? Absolutely. I mean, one of the most amazing things that dreaming does is it increases your creativity. And one of the ways it increases your creativity is it's putting you into, it's building the muscle of the sensing, imaginative mind. And it's kind of like I taught a workshop um, last weekend to the New Leaders Council of Los Angeles on um, how to develop your the story of your organization through doing this imagery work. And um, one of the things that you know they were surprised about is how they thought they had to follow sort of uh, modern marketing wisdom. And that's very left-brain thinking, and they had to sort of architect their story from a thinking place, right? And right. at first, there was a lot of hesitance about, well, how do you develop the um, sensing self, and is it okay to do that? Is it okay? You know, and I said, think of it in this way. We reach for the things that are easiest. So when I go to the gym, I really love to do cardio because I can run for maybe ever, I can get on a treadmill and just not stop. What I don't like to do is lift weights. So I can go for the easy thing and run, 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 run. But if I really want to develop myself and to develop different muscles, I have to stop and go and lift weights. And it's the same way. As soon as we recognize that all of the educational system in America and in our conventional culture um, prizes the um, prefrontal cortex processes, you know, statistics and math and logical thinking and scientific method. Those are all products of the the prefrontal cortex. And it's created a creative deficit um, they have been measuring uh, CQs, which is a creative quotient. It's the same as IQ, but it's on a creative scale. For a number of decades in the United States, I think since the 50s when it was created. And in the last 15 years, there's been a precipitous drop in the CQ levels of America. And I believe it's because there's been concurrent with that, a greater emphasis placed on testing. Is it A, B, C, or D? But our life is not A, B, C, or D. Our life is very holistic and very fluid, which is the dreaming world, which is the part of the sensing brain that I teach people how to get into. So, again, to use the gym, I told the new leaders, uh, new leader council that I spoke with, you know, if you went to the gym and you only lifted weights with your left arm, you would have a really big left bicep, but you'd have a really puny right arm. So what I'm teaching them is to develop that right arm, to develop that creative self. And, um, you know, one of the, not only does living in the imaginative language and imaginative world develop that muscle, by dreaming, one is able to step into different perspectives, to see the world from different points of view, as opposed to that one tunnel vision point of view that having a goal, A, B, C, D, linear world, um, asks us to do. So by stepping into different points of view, inherently I increase my creativity because I have more information to play with. I have more ways to... Think about something. I can see something from above and below and from the different sides. And that expands my view. Do you find this hard for people to do, I mean, as a group? or is it's, it's not hard for people to do. 
It's hard for people to get over a prejudice against doing it. Um, for a, a long time, I taught um, the psychology, political psychology, political and advocacy psychology. And there's study after study after study that we don't vote with our logical mind. Drew Weston has written many wonderful books uh, and papers about this. Um, I think the political brain or the political mind is really his his big tomb of this tome. And uh, he it's it's filled with all these studies that we vote from a sensing, intuitive place. And I never taught that class that I didn't have like an almost mutiny of students because they couldn't believe that it was possible that people would vote from a place that wasn't a totally logical place. And Antonio Damasio, who's a neuroscientist, and several other um Academics have looked at the stock market as well, and stock market decisions are based on a sensing, intuitive place, not simply logic. We're just not beings that are meant to exist in a place in our brain that's only as big as the thumbnail. We're meant to utilize our whole brain, which is meaning to utilize our whole body. So we can either do that consciously, which is what I teach people, how to tap into their whole brain, or we can do it unconsciously and wonder why we've thought everything through, but we still continue to make decisions that um, counter that, that counter our best interests. So I think that might... Are you going to write a book on this also? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is intriguing. Yeah. I might. I go where my dreaming leads me, so we'll see. Oh. Well, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to see where our dreams lead us. Absolutely. That would be. It would be marvelous for a, a book to be written through my dream. <laughs> That'd be marvelous. <laughs> well, you know, having can you this ask? Kind of... yeah, go, ahead, go ahead, Paula. No, that's I, okay. I, I was going to say, having this capability of realizing that. You know, sometimes some people like you will start talking and then all of a sudden your brain uh, is able to um, uh, do an osmosis status that you kind of leak into into someone else's uh, thinking pattern and you begin to set up um, scenarios. You begin to to dream um, on the on the uh, subject that maybe is is stimulating you and you're able to develop and all of a sudden you go, wow, how come I've been able to to leak into that part? It's like you're dreaming awake, (laughs) you know? And you can consciously uh, experience all of this. It's really powerful. And uh, this is, you know, what you're, you're able to go out and just um, it, it's uh, you're such a bright light. You're able to just merge and and allow uh, people to be able to see things maybe where they haven't been able to see it before. I think that creativity um, brings bliss to life. I mean, it brings it brings life. I mean, creativity just put spark into your energy and 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 that's a lot of us are missing that spark that creative spark creativity is life and I, when i say we dream ourselves into being is every single thing that we're living is um a product of our dreaming so we can dream in a very expanded state You know, I could have taken that book and never responded to it. And I would be not having this conversation with you today. and Things would be quite different. Um, But in the same, you know, that's a dramatic sense, right? To have to dream a book in one night is a very dramatic thing. But we also dream in every moment. Every moment there's a choice, right? So I I can choose to be 
very um, aware of my sensing self. I can, I, a perfect example, my family being in town, I'm picking on them today because they're, they're here. They, um, they, they, I have a, an amazing garden in my house with a pond with goldfish and lotus flowers. And um, right now in California, everything is blooming like crazy. And I have plants that are flowering. I have trees that are flowering. And um, my family, like so many of us today, is very tied in to, um, you know, always checking their phone always checking messages and texting with people and things like that. And I had to keep drawing their attention to say, did you smell the night blooming jasmine last night when you were sleeping, when you were in your bed? Huh? Where is it? You know, and did you did you notice that the lotus started to, you know, pop up that's purple today? Huh? Where? What's a lotus? You know, it's, we have to be conscious of what, kind of choices we want to make. Do we want to walk around texting all the time um, or do we want to be aware of everything surrounding us? And that's an example. It doesn't matter if we're texting or not. It can be do we want to stay in an old pattern of doing things the same way or do we want to turn around and see what's on the other side of that? Well, even taking a different route to work. I mean, that's... Uh, exactly. And I've been lost before, and instead of becoming angry, I say, well, look at all the things I got to see that I would normally not have <laughs> gotten to see. Exactly, and it is stimulating. It's like you were saying about, you know, missing that spark. It's so very easy. The spark is all around us. All we have to do is begin to push our attention to it. In the same way that we started the conversation and I said, you're smelling right now, it's what we choose to attend to with our attention. Do we want to attend to everything we're sensing at the moment or do we want to attend to what we're thinking about? Now, obviously, we need both. And I teach people that... Your consciousness and your dreaming self need to work together like a couple doing the tango. There's moments where one leads and then it switches and the other gets to lead. And in that same way, I have moments where I really need to focus with my conscious self. You know, when I sit down to QuickBooks and I'm reconciling my checkbook, I really want to be my conscious self. And then when I'm walking my dogs down the street, I don't want to carry QuickBooks with me. I want to then move into an experiencing part of myself, and I want to notice the little hummingbird that's flying around me, and I want to feel the pleasure of walking with my dogs and what my response to that is. Well, that's being in the now <laughs> that we all forget to do. Right, which is why dreaming is the of our experiencing. Our experiencing is right now. You know, when you were talking about um, companies, I I was thinking of Apple. I just wonder if Steve Jobs um, dreamt all these new things that he brought in. I don't know. But that's an interesting question. I haven't yeah. read the book. Oh, I haven't either, but he, um, he really was a spark of creativity. I mean, he probably just lived through his cre creativity. So that's just one good example. If our, all our companies did that in the United States, boy, we would be far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Bonnie, if you just could take a moment out, you talked about the Kabbalah of light. Um, yes. Can you you know, explain about that. I thought it was very precious. And you even had, you know, like a a way of merging with the light. And people, a lot of people, it's a great way I felt. Um, in fact, I quickly handed it to someone through the email, just, just the information. And they emailed back going, oh, I have to do this. <laughs> 
So if we can just give our listeners an idea of what it is, and um, I think that they would appreciate that too. Well, the Kabbalah of Light is the name of the lineage that I teach. It's not, you know, the lineage is not fixed. It's never fixed or named in that way, but my teacher's teacher would refer to it as the Kabbalah of Light. And it's the, um, it's that dreaming uh, imagery uh, work of looking on the inside, of bringing light to our inner self. You know, the moment we turn our eyes to the inside, um, we bring light to our inside because we begin to see and look into the spaces that um, we've either dismissed or walked around or haven't been in touch with in a long time. So, I, when I first heard about you, I just thought it was so incredible. And uh, talking about the wisdom of dreaming in, in the moment, um, the powerful transformation, just being present with what you're both what you're going through and what you're emotionally feeling. Um, I, you know what? I think it, it allows you to to hone in. And I, when you spoke, uh, you know, about the Kabbalah of Light, just being able to go within and being able to feel um, really that energy and and an energy of creativity and energy of of the power that you have within to to bring all of this forward I, you know it's really magnanimous what you've done I, it's it's really a wonderful stepping stone uh, uh and a, a way to envision people to grab hold of it and really hang on and to their dreams and to their daytime and nighttime dreams. <laughs> well, I think people uh, and, forget, yeah. And Bonnie shares this, so we should give out her website and her new book so that people can learn from the book and actually experience Bonnie on her on her website. Right. And the book is Dream Yourself Into Being. And the website is Bonnie Buckner. Dot com and that's b o n n i e buckner b u c k n e r dot com and don't forget she has some dream workshops and Bonnie is there anything else you want to share in particular about that website that people really need to know about now well you you can find on the website I'm I'm with the launch of the book I'm going to be in a, a few different cities in the U S um, doing signings and in some places, a very short um, dream group introduction workshop. Um, so this week is going to be in Los Angeles, and then I fly to New York, and all of that information of the um, book tour is on the website. And also on the website is the calendar of classes. And so um, I have several dream groups during the week that I teach uh, through Google, um, through the Google Plus Hangout, so that they um, it's a video uh, conference basically where um, anybody from around the world can join. So I don't just teach in a physical locale. I open that up so that everybody can have a chance, and all of that's also on the uh, calendar on my website. Well, that's marvelous. That. If you don't have a dream group of your own, you can join Bonnie's. So that's great. Yay. <laughs> and, and if you've never been in a dream group, I suggest that you do so because it's so enlightening. So thank you, Bonnie, for being with us today. And uh, I hope you come to Northern California sometime near in the near future so we can meet you in person. Well, thank you. I do, too. I'll let you know, definitely, if that gets booked. Oh, great. Well, I'm sure that uh, our listening audience uh, really received a lot of information today that uh, they can use, and they can jump on your website and even get in more information. 
Yes, thank so, you for for uh, hopping in and putting that new creative button in our chest. <laughs> and we we are so happy to have you with us. You have a wonderful day, and and thank you for blessing us. Oh, thank you, ladies. Really, it's an honor. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, you're quite welcome, and let's tell our listeners to have a creative day. <laughs> exactly. Have happy dreams. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.